What's good? What's happening? What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Producers Podcast. My name is John Simmer. I'm the producer for the morning show and the Players Club. And with me, we have a uh, brand new uh, addition to the rotation, and that's uh, Dante Gomez. What's going on, man? What's up, John? Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, of course. We're uh, we're excited to have you. We obviously had um, Sydney on with uh, Kevin last episode, so we figured we'd bring on uh, some of the more part-time guys, or you know, not part of the day parts. So um, it's been it's been fun to have with the guys that we have, but wanted to add some more people, so. Um, I just wanted to, I'd like to open up every show, um, with just letting, you know, just kind of letting you introduce yourself and how long you've been at the fan for and, you know, what's, what's the experience been like for you? Um, I know you've, you've actually had a little more experience, I guess, than say some others who have been kind of like the weekend running games, stuff like that. You've actually produced Stoke and Zach for a few months, um, I know you filled in for me on the morning show um, for about a week or so. So, you know, if you have anything that coming in that you didn't expect uh, behind the scenes to kind of be a big part of your job or what your overall experience has been like running the board and uh, producing different shows. Uh, I mean, in all, it's been pretty awesome. I really enjoy my time here. Uh, I've been here for about a year and. There's just, you know, a lot more to it than you expect. It's like you listen to it on the radio and you're like, oh, that doesn't sound that hard. But there's a lot of stuff behind right. the scenes that yeah. a lot of people don't really think about that has to go into it. Um, and you went to Arizona State, right? I did. I went to Arizona State. And what did you graduate? I didn't graduate, but it wasn't in sports marketing. It was econ and I still have like a semester or so left. Okay. And what made you... Uh... What me? What brought you out? Because obviously you grew up in Arizona, right? Yeah, I grew up in Arizona my whole life. Pretty much moved there when I was like six months old. So and not from Colorado. For... So what brought you out here, and what made you um, ultimately just end up at the fam? So I moved out here for the job, which uh-huh. is a little funny okay, when people hear it because not a lot of people would move states for a part-time job. Sure, right. But it was one of those where I had an in where um, you know family friends with Mark Schlereth. So I texted mm-hmm. him one day when I was you know working at my old job back in Arizona, and I was like, "Hey, you know I'm interested in the radio business. Mm-hmm. Um, is it cool if I come out you know sometime and you know just check out what the whole thing's right. about?" And literally like two minutes later, I get a phone call from him. And he's like, "You know what? Let me know when you're coming. You can stay at my house. I'll pick you up at the airport." Like, wow. you know, opened up there the door go. for me, so yeah. completely came out here, hung out for like a day back when uh, Ben was running the morning show. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of hung out for the day and I just, you know, loved the environment, loved, it was fast paced. It was just a lot going on mm. and it just seemed like something I really wanted to do. So ended up applying a couple, like a month or two later. And then, uh, this was back when Parker was hiring and then Parker gave me a call. Was like, you know, if you're serious about it, let's have you come out and let's do this. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Having a, having an in when stink is definitely, uh, a good way to go about things, I guess, and, and especially here in uh, in this market. So yeah, exactly. That's cool, man. I didn't know that story. So, um, well, right on. So, the um, what I really wanted to talk to you about is obviously, like we just mentioned, you're you're not from here. You're from Arizona, which actually fits really well with kind of what's going on here in Denver. And uh, obviously, you're a big um, Arizona fan, and so. You know heartbreak as an Arizona fan, you know, Cardinals fan. What was it, 08, 09, you got to the Super Bowl with Kurt Warner? Yep, uh, I think it was, yeah, 08, 09. I can't remember exactly which year, but it was one of those. And, yeah, the uh, the San Antonio Holmes yeah. catch, as I say in air quotes, at the yeah. corner of the end. So. I mean, that was a catch. <laughs> he got his feet down. Um, mm. 
That was 100% a catch. That's indisputable. Agree to disagree. It's indisputable. Indisputably a catch. No, but a lot of heartbreaking Arizona fans. Yeah. It's one of those, especially this year, I've noticed it, especially. It's like, you know, Arizona sports fans, Denver sports fan, like little verbal meme of ha- shaking hands. Right. Just terrible sports. Right. So, I mean, the Suns losing in the finals two years ago. Yeah. Tough. So, bucks. it's just, you know, a lot of. A lot of heartbreak in the playoffs. Right. When you say uh, terrible sports teams, it didn't always used to be like that uh, here in Denver. And I guess more specifically for the Broncos, um, you've had a unique perspective outside of anyone that I can even think of off the top of my head, especially behind the scenes, has had the last, you know, well, basically growing up. And that's living in Arizona, obviously when Russ was a Seahawk in the same division. So the first thing I want to ask is, have you noticed a difference in the way, and I know it's only through five games, but the five games Russ has had as a Bronco compared to, we don't need to say his whole career as a Seahawk, but the last two, two and a half seasons, has there been a major, obviously he hasn't been playing up to the uh, standard that we expected here in Denver, but what, if you can put a finger on anything, has really been like, a significant, a significant difference in um, Russ in Seattle and Russ here in Denver. So, ironically, I think Russ has kind of caused his own downfall because I think back in Seattle there wasn't this much on his plate. I think he relied more on the defense and the run game and kind of just taking what's there versus he's always wanted to kind of be the guy and the reason they're winning. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what he got here when he kind of gets to – gets a lot more of a you know a hand in the play calling in the mm-hmm. offense and I think that's almost what's causing his downfall is that he's putting too much on himself versus right. kind of letting you know take what's there take the easy play sometimes mm-hmm. you don't have to always you know be the guy to right. win games and so is that kind of a well-known thing in Arizona in terms of like Russ because this is all coming to light now, right? Like, you know, we have we have Hackett literally saying it's all about Russ. The offense is completely different. Russ is out of shotgun a lot more. They're not doing the things that made him successful in Seattle, which, you know, unless you're in the building, you can't really know for sure if it's Hackett or Russ making those decisions, if it's both. Um, but obviously with the, the performance up until this point, these things are starting to come to light a little bit. And, of course, yeah, the narrative when he was, you know, up until he got hurt, you know, was um, last season with his with his thumb was that he wanted more of a part of the offense. And the even, let Russ Cook move. Yeah, and, and even in C, or, um, when we first got Russ in the morning, Stink would always talk about because Stink has done – I think he's personally done – more Russ games, more Seahawk games than he's done any other team. Um, and he would always talk about, you know, Russ's attention to detail, his willingness to, you know, obviously he wakes up at four in the morning, whatever, he gets four hours of sleep. And then he would hand over, and the big talking point leading up to the season was these, like, 15-page dossiers that he would make. Um, both a combination of the game prior and leading up to the game that he would hand to Pete Carroll or the offensive coordinator at the time. And he was pretty much met with like, oh, thanks, Russ, you know, and then go and just, you know, crumple up the paper and throw it out and not even, um, you know, pay much attention to it. And that's one of the major things that caused the divide. So my 
my main question was, is it being kind of like a quote unquote casual or hardcore fan? Was it kind of known being a division rival that this was kind of brewing within Russ? Like he always wanted this and that was like kind of a division. It was more of Russ settling for being the second fiddle in Seattle until it just kind of came to a tipping point. Has this been brewing over multiple years as far as you know as you know a division rival fan? So, I mean, I never knew, like, all the drama behind the scenes. Uh-huh. You did hear, you know, the Let Russ Cook movement and right. all that stuff. And, you know, he wanted these MVP votes. But I always kind of assumed that he was, like, the ultimate team guy. Right. Because he kind of portrays it as, well. it as right. like, I'm yeah. the ultimate team guy. Mm-hmm. But then you've seen this year especially where it's like, he kind of see. I don't know if he sees himself. At least it's, from an outside perspective, it looks like he's above the team. You know, he sure. has all the oh, special 100%. treatment. Yeah. There's all this extra stuff that comes along with him where it's like, that's not really what being a team guy is. Yeah. And, I mean, Nate Jackson talks about it on the Players Club all the time. He Like, I've really noticed he's mentioned it a lot where it's – Russell Wilson doesn't act like the rest of the team. No, he doesn't. So, well, I think – Well, no, I mean, he's, yeah. he's just a different level of celebrity, which was pretty clear from the moment he got here. But, yeah, even when you hear in press conferences, you know, when it was first like – and Hackett was first talking about Russ and it was all about Russ and the offense – it would always be Russ in the offense. But that made sense because that was your marquee. I mean, it was the biggest trade in NFL history in terms of like the kind of player Russ was, where he was in his career, to just for a team to just give up a franchise quarterback, but seems like still in his prime at the time. Now, highly debatable. But, you know, the, it, the context was. Seattle just basically gave up their franchise quarterback in the prime of his career for, at the time, it didn't seem like a lot. You gave up a couple first-round picks, but if you're if those picks turn out to be in the 20s, then, you know, what's the value of those picks, really? But then, as the season continually goes, and even through preseason and OTAs and training camp, it was always still Russ and everyone else. And just in the conversation, when Peyton was asked about him, when Hackett was asked about him, and not even when it was directly about Russ, when it was just about the offense. It's about Russ getting comfortable with the offense. It's about Russ finding the rhythm. It was never these guys. It was never Russ acclimating or making the adjustments necessary to the offense. It was always built around what they need to do to fit Russ. Um, and I think that narrative, not even narrative, just the conversation is kind of worn thin especially when you're not winning and you're losing the way that you are. But it is, it's, it's very, it's just interesting how the, just the, the separation between Russ and offense and just the dichotomy between the two already a month into the season, a little over a month is just still so black and white. Um, it just seems like a recipe for disaster, to be honest. Here no, it does. I completely agree. I mean, I don't know if you saw that clip of Marshawn Lynch and Richard Sherman talking. Yeah, last yeah, week we actually where, played on the morning show. Where yeah. they were like, I, you know, I think Richard Sherman's like, yeah, why don't you call him? And Marshawn's like, you know, I can't do that. Yeah, he's and, like, I'm not going to call you if I can't call you directly. Then I'm not going to call. And him. to me, I that was like one of the most absurd things I've ever heard. Like, right. I didn't know that the team can't just reach him directly. Like, right. I can't imagine like. If I tried to talk to you Mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, I have to go through, you know, somebody else to talk to you like you're my coworker. 
these guys are in the locker room with them every day, and they can't mm-hmm. even, you know, right. talk to them if they want to outside of that. Like, they have to go through somebody right. else. So when I even I heard the drive even talking about it. I think it, it was either the drive or Stoke and Zach, but um, it was more of even if you wanted to, like, talk, and, they, and this has been, you know, a talking point from K.J. Wright to Richard Sherman to Marshawn Lynch, is, like, even if you wanted to, like, talk to the guy, just, like, from a human-to-human basis, it was basically impossible, you know, because he's just wired such a different way, and it's almost as if he has a chip on his shoulder that you can't even relate to the guy even if you wanted to. Um, So, and obviously, you know, people in Seattle who do our job or who are diehard fans of the Seahawks kind of knew this, but this was never something, you know, as a fan of an opposing team that never, like, came out whether you heard it on radio or definitely not on ESPN, but, like, you never saw any articles or anything about that, that kind of, like, went to maybe even lend the idea to, oh, maybe, you know, this Russ is just, like, kind of like a, he's almost an anomaly, you know? He's, like, he's almost Tom Brady-esque without, like, the the championships. Yeah, Yeah. he's, like, he's this high-celebrity guy and he lives this lavish lifestyle, but he has one Super Bowl to show for it. So that never really was a talking point that you could that you heard or knew as a fan in in, in uh, Arizona. No, I mean that's not something I ever really noticed. And mm. again, when we were playing him every week, it was I wasn't like particularly scared of Russ. It was you know DK Metcalf, it was Marshawn Lynch, it was mm. that defense. It was Russ just kind of made the whole thing go, mm. but he was never like. The guy, I was like, oh no, don't let Russ do that, right. you know. So, and but yeah, no, you never really heard stories of that. You heard, which was weird, actually. You did hear some rumors that back when the Browns took Baker Mayfield, that right. Seattle was trying to trade Russell Wilson for the first overall pick. I'm not sure with maybe some other picks as well, but and I was again going back to the trade thing. You don't really ever see star quarterbacks get traded in their prime. No, yeah, you never like do. it's just because if you have the guy, you. You don't want to get rid of him because right. looking for the next guy is right. Set your franchise difficult. back up to a decade potentially. Exactly. Right. So, and that's for every team. Like the Patriots are kind of going through. It's like, is Mac Jones the guy? Is right. Billy Zappi the guy? It's like you don't really know how hard it is unless you have that guy. Right. We're still living through it now. We Exa- missed yeah, on Paxton Lynch six years. Exactly. We're still we're still living in it. it was, yeah, it's better than half a decade. So, yeah, and um, that was the one thing. And I know Mike harped on it a lot in the off season and I'm sure with anyone who's savvy enough to pay attention to the Broncos very closely, it was for me in the back of your mind, it's like what does what what if Seattle's right? Like what, you know, they're warning us about all these things. He's he's different from the team. He does this off season stuff, yada yada yada. And but we were kind of like lost in the folly of like, okay, we don't have to go through another year of Drew Locke and some washed veteran. And then, like, a faux training camp competition just to watch mediocre football and the Broncos average 18 points a game again. It's actually worse. We're averaging 15 points a game. But at the time, you know, it's like, okay, well, it's, it's okay. We got Russ. Hmm. You know, and when, when I think of Russ, the one image that always sticks in my mind was the NFC Championship game. I think it was, it was the year they went and lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl when he hits um, Jermaine Curse in overtime for like a 60 yard bomb to send it off in, in, uh, in overtime. And that was like, obvious. that was like the big narrative around Russ too. 
best deep ball thrower in the league, um, things of that nature. And then just to see what we've we've gotten out of him is, um, I mean, obviously it's disappointing, but it's just one of the biggest disparities in like expectation to reality. And it came sobering really quick um, here in Denver. So being, you obviously played him twice a year again. And I think it's just so, I think it's really interesting being a uh, Arizona sports fan playing these guys twice a year. Was it a lot of, because obviously here in Denver, we didn't like study Russ a lot, but what, if you could boil it down to just like three fine details or I don't want to say like necessarily again, the like X's and O's of it, but like, you know, running off with Marshawn Lynch and building off a of play action, what would be like the three keys that made Russ so successful? And before you answer that, actually what like was Russ predominantly, he was pretty successful against the Cardinals. I would imagine because they haven't been good very frequently through his, uh, his career no i mean there was a bad stretch of cardinals football there when he was there i will say though even on those down years arizona always found a way to split with seattle for mm-hmm. the most part which seattle would be you know winning 12 13 games and arizona would be winning you know four right. to seven and the same can't be said for uh san francisco no yeah they'd get swept by well, san francisco yeah, they'd, they'd get, get swept by the rams somehow but they'd always split with the seattle seahawks i don't know what it was it was one of those like to me they were our rivals when russ was mm-hmm. there I hated Seattle more than I hated the Rams more than I hated San Francisco. It was like those were the guys that I was like, I just I, right. as long as we beat them. Because it was the one division opponent you could be, you know, competitive with. Exactly. Okay. So going back to something else as well with the the trade, I think what has to do with the expectations and what we've gotten is I think Denver was very hungry for a quarterback. Oh, 100 percent And I think they just put the expectation level too high. Cause you heard, you know, the list of the NFL. Uh, like top 100 players comes out. Yeah. Russ comes out at 61. Mm-hmm. Everybody at the station, everybody in Broncos country is like, what? How could he be 61? Right. All this stuff. It's like, And I was saying this before the season where it's like, he's not a top five quarterback. He's good. He's that 8 to 12 right. range, though. And I think Broncos country Which didn't want to believe we'll that. We'll take that, though. Exactly. But I, I don't think Broncos country wanted to believe that. Well, I, think I think they wanted to more... think he's that top level, top tier guy. Which he's not. And that's fine. You don't right. have to have that guy. But I think that has to do with the expectation level as well. I think it was just a little too high of expectations, which has to do with how bad the quarterback play has been in recent mm-hmm. years in Denver. So it's like, wow, like I can't believe we were able to get this guy. Well, I think the 60 wasn't more of just like – because it was there's context to it. There's nuance to it. It was he had the thumb injury. He came back earlier than he should have, and he looked awful those last, couple, three, uh, last three games because I remember – what was it? It was like a Thursday. It was like the first game back. It was like a Thursday or Sunday night. Um, I think it was like against the Jets or someone. And he looked awful. I mean, he was like under throwing like five yard routes. And why I remember it so distinctly is I took Russ's over in passing yards that game. I got robbed basically. But I remember just watching that being like, God, this dude might actually be washed, but then, you know, with the thumb injury. But in context of the 60, I think that's where people were just like, not necessarily mad that he was ranked 60, but it's like, okay, well, if you take into context, there is obviously bad blood in Seattle to begin with. Probably headbutting, and that was at its peak. And then on top of that, you had the injury. He's not going to get injured again. You know, and that's a bit of wishful thinking, but we think... He's not going to get injured. You're pairing him with Nathaniel Hackett. 
We're giving him everything he wants. This dude is a top 10 quarterback. Like, Hall of Fame trajectory. So I think that's kind of where that came to, you know, where that kind of idea or that mindset came from. Um, At least from, you know, at least my perspective. But the expectations, I know, you know, a couple of people were saying Super Bowl or bust. That's, that is what it is. That's not, you know, realistic. It's not fair. But I think playoffs or bust was I think that the is idea. Yeah. And it, again, though, it's like, how do you look going and in, getting into the playoffs, right? So if you start off 6-0 and and then you, you know, win three of your next few, you know, you win three Cardinals games for the rest year. of Yeah, so, <laughs> exactly. That's a perfect example. If you're like the Arizona Cardinals, you're the last undefeated team, and then you just like barely, yeah, you're barely crawling in. smoked in, in the first yeah, round. <laughs> but you're barely crawling into the yeah. playoffs. That's a bad, like that's, Technically, it's not a bad season, but the way that you went about it, I would much rather take a consistent season going 10 and 7 than being 13. Oh, that's maybe not. A, yeah, 13 and 4, maybe, you know, losing three of your last four and then getting first rounded. There's there's context to it. Um, but I think we were this was a playoff roster and maybe even then we still over evaluated the roster um, to begin with. But, you know, it's. It's it's dumbfounding to be honest. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it every day because obviously, you know, as a producer, it's our job to get with our hosts and just come up with topics. And obviously the big one is just what the hell is wrong with Russ and how did we just get the most incompetent coach in the NFL again? Like, how did we do this? Yeah, I mean, so I thought they had it figured out. After that first half in L.A. this last week, yeah, I was like, looked great. I, I, going into the game, my buddy texted me asking for advice on how the game was going to go. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was like, I think Russ has his best game of the year. I think the Broncos have their best game of the year. End of the first half, I text him, like, you know, yeah. taking a little victory it, I lap. I mean, that looked like vintage Russ. Exactly. I thought, you know what, they finally got it figured out. They had those 10 days off uh, between games. And I really did think they had it figured out. You know, second half and o- overtime goes and you realize – Maybe they don't quite got it figured out yet. And, I mean, Coach Hackett has proved himself to, you know, not really be ready for the job, not be. Yeah, he's, yeah he seems way too in over his Exactly. Head. So, I think that's, you know, a problem. But, best case scenario, Russ is actually still good and Hackett's the problem. But you just wasted a year of Russ's quote-unquote prime. Well, and that's the interesting thing, too, is that's kind of where. I don't want to say the narrative because it wasn't like manufactured in any way, but it was like, that's just how things were like, that's how the trajectory of things were going with Hackett. It was like, this dude is just like, this is the reason why we suck. You know, going for the field goal in Seattle, um, incredible amount of penalties, just undisciplined, just games going too fast. You have to bring in some random dude. You have to have your boss, George Payton, Bring in a guy from that used to be with the Ravens in Rossburg, Jer Bears oh, likes to call him. And then three weeks into the season, you called this guy so he can hold your hand during yeah, games. Well, babysitter for Hackett. And and then we continue to lose. We're not scoring points. Now, after the LA game and even leading up to the LA game, it was more of this is on Russ. The play callings there. I remember um I mean, to me. The L.A. game was bad, but nothing. I don't know if anything will beat that Indianapolis game. 
mainly because I was so pissed off because I got to wake up three. I wake up three thirty every morning to do the show. To not only watch that game, have to stay up for that game, and I had to go to overtime for that game. I was quite literally offended that I had to watch this for my job, and then we lost. And then how we lost was even worse. But leading up after that game to the Chargers game, I remember um, there was a show last week, maybe Wednesday or Thursday. It was uh, Stink kind of walking through the plays with Mike of all the throws Russ missed in that game. And it was like, listen, for how bad of a job Hackett's doing, he's drawing the plays up. These receivers are getting open. Russ is just missing them. So now to kind of like have the, you know, the trajectory go from, okay, well, Hackett can't manage a game. We've almost like accepted that. And now it's not necessarily the play calling. Now Russ just can't, can't play. Yeah, I mean, I I think the preseason has a lot to do with it, too, because you kind of see he kind of locks in on one guy during the play, and if that guy's not there, he, then that's how he misses these guys. You right. know, there's Dulcich open twice, was wide open. Was that a open. theme when he would play in recent years? Like, was when, when as a dude who was locked into Arizona sports, you know, I before I even worked at the fan, you know, back in the Peyton Manning years, I would sit with my buddies and be like, all right, man, if we just do this, like, we can attack this team there, like, Broncos country, and I'm not sure about Arizona, um, but, like, Broncos country is locked in. Like, they know the other team really well. They know the strengths of the defense. Obviously, they might not know the nuances of the game. I sure as hell don't because I never played. I never coached it. But we know, like, okay, Baron Browning, stud. Oh, okay, Rashawn Slater is out. Bradley Chubb, if he doesn't command attention, he's going to. That means Baron Browning's going to, you know, feast. Things like that, we're locked into the game. Was that something in Arizona when you're getting ready to play a Seahawks game where, like, yo, if we could take away the run game and we have Russ have to either play with a three-point deficit, ten-point deficit, seven-point deficit, if we know we have to make Russ stand in the pocket and throw, we will win the game. Was that kind of like a recurring theme at all when you guys were getting ready to play? So, same idea, but it was... I think they were a lot better about spreading the battle because right. a lot of experience together. I also think they're not pairing the run game with the passing game as right. well as they were in Seattle. In Seattle, was a lot of play action. It was a lot of you know third and manageables, that kind of stuff. And out here, you see, you know, it's three and outs all the time. Where right. you're not getting these sustained drives. Where in Seattle, I really do think they just spread the ball out a lot better, and they kind of. Getting back to it, they didn't let – they took the ball out of Russ's hands a little bit. Right. But it was for the better of the team. It was for right. winning. Well, and that's probably, you know, where Russ – the divide happened between Pete and Russ. But then it just – that's what blows my mind is if – because I'm trying to put myself in Russ's shoes to a certain extent. Just in the the bare thought of, okay, I feel like I want more to do with the offense. I want more say – I want my fingerprints all over this. But then I go to this play. I go to a destination. I'm told I'm getting the keys to the offense. But then, and I I, I work my ass off. Because Russ is, that's the one thing that stayed pat with anyone who even doesn't like Russ. Richard Sherman, any of his former teammates, they say Russ works his ass off. I could, I'm not a big Russell Wilson fan. But yeah, I 100% agree. So he then will put where in the is hours. the disconnect 
between when you are in the pocket, you look like you can't play football anymore. If you're this hard worker, if you, how do you not know pass protections? How can you not check plays at the line of scrimmage? If you don't trust guys, in my opinion, it's from a lack of preparation. So how are you like? How are your you and your receivers not on the same page? Just from a like from a scheme perspective of like, hey, you know, and if you don't have that, why don't you go to Nathaniel Hackett if you have all your fingerprints on this? Hey, we need more quick game stuff, quick slants, little stick routes with the tight end, just things to chip away, just little you know chip plays to just move us up the field. It doesn't need to be the big play, but just chip away, beat. The Tom Brady special. It's literally how Tom Brady has so many championships. He'll throw those five dollar or those five yard dump offs. He'll do it all day. He'll chip you away to death, and then once you creep up, then he'll hit you with the big play. So I just don't understand the disconnect. If this is you know what Russ wants, then where's the disconnect between wanting this and then just being unwilling to look off of one receiver? So I actually thought of the same thing. I texted Zach the other day about it, and I said, I think it's a good question for Stokely. Is there a difference between what is best for the for Russ and what Russ wants to do? Because I think there is a difference. Right, so you got to kind of save him from himself. Exactly. But So then does it, because I see a lot of teams in the NFL do this, and it's mind-blowing, but it's almost like a style points kind of thing. It's like almost as if, what? More half the league at least thinks, oh, if you score a touchdown making a crafty play, it's worth like eight points instead of seven. That's how it almost feels a lot of the time um, in the NFL. Do you think that's kind of like, is that kind of where you're going with that question almost? I do, because I think, again, in Seattle, I think they took the ball out of his hands a lot and it was more about winning. And that's how they accumulate all these wins. You know, Zach throws out this stat all the time. It's like Russell Wilson in his first 10 years had the most wins, I think, out of a quarterback. Where, Fastest to 100 wins. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Where it was about winning. It wasn't about Russell Wilson. It was just about winning the ball game. And but I think they did win a lot of close there. games sure. in Seattle where it's right. like they maybe weren't blowing guys out, but they played winning football. They ran the ball when they needed to. Right. They, you know, eight clock when they needed to. They mm-hmm. played good defense. So I think that has a lot to do with it. I just don't understand where, you know, we talk about the 15 page dossiers. I can understand like feeling like you're being, you're winning. But you feel like you're being ignored or held back almost in a way. Um, but then, too, I just feel like that it's again, it's that that disconnect is so large between wanting to perform well and then wanting to win and feeling like you're being held back. But then when that way of winning isn't working or that way of like approaching winning isn't working. To not have the, uh, like the self examination or the ability to just look at yourself and be like, okay, maybe it's not fully me, but that we're not there yet. We're not even close to there yet. This coach isn't there yet. My receivers aren't there yet. My O line isn't there yet. Let's bring it back a little bit and let's let me coach these guys along. I don't see any of that, at least on the field. Yeah, I mean, I see I think no his, leadership from yeah. us. No, I think his game. ego has a lot to do with it too. Because I mean, it's and it's a large ego. He man. has a big ego, and then also, you know, they always talk about like this big team of guys he has with him. 
those are probably like they, you know, he pays their they're salaries. Yes they're right. probably a bunch of yes men right. that are like, no, Russ, it's you, it's you. They're always, and I feel like that's probably a difference between you come out of a third round pick out of the draft, right. and you know, you have to earn all this stuff. And then these last couple of years, it's been, oh, I'm the guy. I have this big ego. This is this is why we were winning. This is why. And all these guys are telling me, that, like, you know, agreeing with me. And I think that has a lot to do with it, too. It's like, you know, Russ, you have to do it. You have to be, like, the savior. Right. It seems like to me, and this was a good extra kind of talking it out, is Russ needs to be able to have kind of a long look in the mirror and just, and just humble yourself a little bit. But does bit. he have people to— Put him in check. I mean, he was still saying he the Broncos country. Let's ride. That, I, but he didn't do that this last. He so he is learning. No, I know he's he learning, learning that. So at least someone bit. told him, yeah. "Hey, don't do that." But I don't know if he has the people in his life because you know, every once in a while, people do get in over their heads. They get that right. inflated head where sometimes you know, you but your your buddies from high school are still gonna sure. you know right. make fun of you. Those your bad your older brother, sure. you know, your parents are still gonna hold you in check a little bit. Sure. Where I don't know if he's getting that. I think. He has but all I mean, these yes men. On, and... But on this stage, you can't tell me that Russ isn't looking at ESPN and seeing just, just smear campaign the last month and to think, oh, this is fine. Like, it's not me. And if that is the case, it's pure delusion, and we're in for a long seven years. Well, I do think he's a little delusional, but I've thought that, you know, the whole time. He's just all, like, the way he... It's almost in his toxic positivity. Almost. Yeah, it, it, no, it really is. Yeah. It's like toxic positivity. It's like I will figure out how to get this done. Right. Where it's like, you know what? Sometimes it's not just you trying to figure it out. You have a team. You have you know ten other guys on offense with you. You have eleven other guys on defense with you. Right. It's not. It doesn't have to fall on you, which is what I was saying earlier. Where it's like, let let the team win with you. Don't right. don't you don't have to be the reason you win. Just be there for the wins. Man, I mean, even then though, it's like, dude. <sighs> You've been playing football your entire life. Like, you know football is a team sport. It's not basketball. You can't LeBron James it out here. You can't just go and average 35 for a season and will your team to a championship. It's just not how football works, and he should know that more than anybody because of, you know, all the things he's had to overcome. I just, you know, it, it really boils down to he's just got to— I think he's just got to be able to look at himself really and just— he doesn't even need to like chip at the eagle a little bit. Just accept that if at the at the very least, if your ego is that large, accept that not everyone around you is just not to your level yet. And if you're not going to elevate them, then you need to be somewhat patient and wait for them because no one's going to want to trade you. No one's going to, yeah. you know, oh, if, no. if yeah. Russ and that's a kind of a, that's a situation where if Russ wanted out tomorrow, who's going to? No one's going to. Trade for him. No, I mean, the Broncos and Russ are stuck with each other for at least the next, you know, four or five years yeah. until maybe the tail end of the contract. I mean, the contract, had, we're still years away from the contract even kicking. It. Exactly. So, and I mean, that'll be interesting too. That contract, I think, has a lot to do why Seattle was okay to move on as right. well because they knew what he wanted. They knew how long he wanted it for. And, you know, he always talks about playing football until he's 40 and like right. all this stuff where it's. Let's worry about this year. Well, buddy. first of all, worry about this year, but also. I think Tom Brady's kind of set an unrealistic standard where it's like, oh, yeah, guys don't do that. Guys don't play football until they're 40. Yeah. The guys that age out of football are more Eli Manning. They're more, you know, Phillip Rivers. Right. They're Matt Ryan this right. year. It's guys like that. That's what happens to quarterbacks. Right. Well, guys worrying, don't play till they're 45 and be MVP conversation. Right. And the most worrying thing is just like corner. When they decline, they just fall off a cliff. And to be honest, it almost looks like Russ is starting to fall off a cliff. 
If that's the case, we are screwed in Denver. We are very, very screwed. And the most, we got to wrap this up here, but the most unsettling thing to me is I don't see leadership qualities from him on the field. I would, that's what I expected from us. Maybe for me, it's an unrealistic expectation, but I would feel like I would want to see a little bit more of like catering to the other guys, even if you had to, you know, Jerry, Judy, and Melvin Gordon on Thursday night, or I'm sorry, Monday night, unacceptable. Why isn't Russ, you know, seeing that and at least talking to them? Maybe he did, well, but in the cameras didn't pick it up. I don't know. I also think within that locker room, I don't know if other guys taking that seriously. I really do think it's that toxic, po- toxic positivity you right. were talking about where it's like, it's like what the, dude, what if I was working with this about? guy, he's just, I was like, I'd, I'd I get would sick even of him be, so I would fast. get sick of him so fast. Like, dude, this guy's like, whatever. Like, this yeah. guy's just going to. I would probably be sick of him after, preach. probably after, to be honest, after Seattle. If I heard him just like, not own up to like dude, that was awful. Like we like we did we moved the ball, but if it was just like I don't know, man, we got to be better, you know. But if it was just nothing but positive, I'd be like, all right, I think I'm out on this guy. Sometimes already you have to be real. Sometimes long. you have to yep. be real, have a real conversation with your teammates and your coaches and this stuff. And I just don't know if he has that quality in him. If you listen to KJ Ryan, Richard Sherman, he can't exactly. And then also going on with the Sherman and Lynch stuff. At one point, Lynch goes, "You know, I know how much of a heady guy he is." Right. And I'm like, maybe he's not. Maybe it's kind of a facade of the, all this positivity, yeah. where you know, maybe he is a little insecure. You're insecure, but well, you got to let that. But you still have to be able to be real with these yeah. people because people can tell if you're sincere. If yeah. you go up to me and you just talk yeah. to me, and you're especially just, football players, exactly. Man. These guys know, like yeah, you they're can't surrounded fake by that. fake people their entire life, essentially. Don't think they can pick up on that, but this has been a good episode, man. It's been a really fun episode. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on, and um, we'll obviously hear you in other episodes. And we do kind of like a you know a rotation here. So, but we are actually um, having some construction done in the building. So I don't know when the next time we'll be able to record, but. Appreciate you hopping on, man. This was a good one. Yeah, thank you, John. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Producers Podcast, and we will catch you all again in the next episode. Thank you all so much for listening. We will catch you next time.